Second Kings chapter six. And as you turn in there, I, I want to tell you, you can't look at me today and tell, but at one time, I was a lean, mean combat machine. Well, at one time, years and years ago, young guys, I was a, I was a souped up wildcat in the United States Army. And uh, probably the most hectic, I don't know if we have any combat veterans in here, but some of the most hectic and nerve-wracking combat you ever experience is close combat, close quarters combat, street fighting. Um, if we had any World War II veterans left in here, they could tell you about those guys that liberated uh, Europe. They could tell you about fighting through those cities. It's tough, tough combat. These guys that are coming home from Iraq and places like that, they had to do a lot of street fighting. And when I first got saved, <clears throat> I heard those catchwords we use all the time, that we're in a war, we're in a battle for men's souls. And so, you know, when I got saved, I didn't know nothing. I was stupid as a stick. I could tell you about Jesus because I grew up in church, but I didn't know anything about the Jesus of the Bible. I didn't know anything about the God of heaven. I thought I did. I knew some words to say. And as, I, as I've learned and, and learning, you know, when I, when I was here as your pastor, I, I didn't, and I was stupid. I, I did not know how to fight. I did not know how to fight the war we're in. I remember going to Mount School in the Army. That's military operation in urbanized terrain. And even the school was very, very nerve-wracking. I mean, continuous all-around explosions going off. And I can tell you, if you had never thrown a hand grenade inside a building, you just don't know what you've missed. It's an experience. And you know, I got to a point in my, in my life with God, I get to throw hand grenades every morning. By five in the morning, you'll find me throwing them hand grenades straight up. I'm praying every morning. God has taken me in the last 10 years of my life, and he has rewired me spiritually once again. He had to rewire me spiritually so he could save me. Because the Jesus I grew up hearing was not the Jesus of the Bible. It was a Jesus that men add on to their life. It was not the Jesus who is life. He is life. He didn't add him on. He is like you're a dead man. And so God had to rewire me to save me. But since I've been saved in the last 10 years, God has begun to rewire me. And I'm learning just a little bit. So I come to you this morning, having not arrived, but not quite as dumb as I used to be. And I want to share a story with you this morning because we at our church are learning to pray. And I, oh man, how many books have been written on prayer? I don't know. I, I, I mean, if you've never word to complete, read the complete works of prayer by Ian Bounds, you, you really need to. It's good stuff. Man, it is good stuff. He used to say, he says something in that book that I used to didn't like. It says it takes 20 years to make a preacher. Brother, I ain't six years away. I've been saved 14 years. And God is doing a work in me in the area of prayer. And I am learning to pray. And I want to share a word with you this morning on prayer. And as I sit here and I listen to y'all testify and, and have uh, requests, this, this horrible tragedy of these two teenagers, all these things going on, I, want to, I, want to, I know I've heard from the Master. I want to share a word with you this morning from an old story in the Old Testament. And I want to give you three combat tactics to fight this battle we're in. The Bible, see, the Bible says in Ephesians, um, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I really had no real concept of that. 
I, I really didn't. I, I, I thought I did, but the more I go, the, the more I realize I really didn't when I first got saved. I really didn't understand the kind of war and the kind of battle we're in. Because I have picked so many fights for Jesus in Choctaw County, Alabama. I can take an old boy and I can peel his hide back and pour salt in it and make that sucker so mad he has spit in my face. And you know what it amounts to? Zero. I just, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers of darkness. And, and, before, and when he made that statement, he was making a statement. He was telling us about the whole armor of God. Right, right under that, he begins the, this, this discourse on the armor of God, putting on the whole armor. But he ends that talk by saying, constantly praying. There's something to this prayer thing. I, I find myself studying it more and more, preaching on it more and more. Because, folks, I'm telling you, we're, we're praying in our churches. I believe that. Most people pray. I do believe that. But I don't believe they know how to pray. And I don't believe they know why they're praying. They do it because we've told by preachers, pray. you got to pray. We'll pray. I was taught in seminary, do this, do that. And I really don't know why. I still don't know why most of it I, I was taught to me. I really don't. So I'm back at a place where I just go by this little old seminary textbook right here. This thing can't miss. As we look at the, uh, excuse me, 2 Kings chapter 6, I want to begin at verse 8. I want to read a story. And then we're going to glean some things out of this on some tactics. Now the king, verse 8, now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. And he consulted with his servants, saying, my camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, beware that you do not pass this place. For the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and he said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? He thought he had a spy. Verse 12 says, And one of the servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and they surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city of, with horses and chariots, and his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And so Elisha answered and said, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. How about that? And Elisha, listen, first tactic, verse 17, and Elisha prayed. And he said, Lord, I pray, open his, this servant, a fellow believer, open his eyes that he may see then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, second tactic, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. 
Now Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I'll bring you to the man whom you see. But he led them to Samaria. That's significant. Verse 20, third tactic. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men, unbelievers. Open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and there they were inside Samaria. How significant that will become. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said, Elisha, my father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? I believe his demeanor was, buddy, let me kill them. We'll deal with this right here and right now. See, that's what Tyler would have done 10 years ago. Verse 22 says, but he answered, you shall not kill them. What would you kill those whom you have taken captive with the sword and your bow? Set food and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and they drank, he sent them away. And they went to their master. So the bands of the Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for an opportunity to share your word. I pray for these people, Lord. I pray, God, if you are teaching me, Lord, allow me uh, a simple, not very good teacher, but, Lord, with a heart that really wants folks to glean a little bit from this, that our prayer life may be effective in these last days. God, as we stand in the literally the last of the last days, Lord, let us battle correctly and effectively all the way to the trumpet blast. Let it be so for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Tactic number one we find in verse 17. We see a prayer for a fellow believer. He said to him, he said, Lord, I pray open his eyes. Now folks, I'm going to tell you something that you already do. I hope Please pray for each other. I realize where I'm standing this morning is one of the most loving and most dedicated fellowships I ever get a chance to be a part of, and I praise God for being here. But if there's any area of this area of your prayer life and want, I pray God to reveal to you this morning, don't wait until they're sick. Don't wait till they've lost a loved one. Don't wait till they stumble in sin. Don't wait. Pray for them now. I have about, I didn't. I looked this morning, I forgot. I got 28 names, if I'm not mistaken, and some of them have spouses, so there's more. And there's about 40 people that I pray for by name every day. They're not believers. I could talk about this in another spot. But this point I want to make, it doesn't take any time. It's very little time. But you get you a copy of Hurricane Baptist Church's role, and you pray for them by name every day. Every single day, every night, however, wherever your prayer life is, carries you, I'm a morning guy. Donna's a night lady. But I have to pray for fellow believers every day. I did not realize that. I did it because I was a pastor. And I thought that's something pastors need to do. That's something every believer ought to do. You pray for the brethren. You've got to. You know why? Because Jesus set this example. None other than Jesus Christ himself set this example. Listen to John chapter, John chapter 17. 
worthy of reading all these verses. I'm going to read them to you. You write them down and study it later if you don't believe me. John 17, verse 9 says this, all the way down through verse 22. The Bible says, I pray for them. Jesus is in the garden. He's about to go to the cross. And he says, Lord, he says, God, Father, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them that I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world. They're going to be here, God. Father, they're going to be here. I'm praying for them. He goes on down to verse 20. He says, I do not pray for these alone. In other words, the disciples, the early church, the people that were around him, Mary Magdalene, all those that were just right around him. He goes on to verse 20, and he prays for Carol Taylor and Mary Cummings, Larry Browning, Tyler Powell. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That is you and me. Jesus Christ himself established this mandate on your prayer life. Pray for each other by name. Every day. Don't miss a day. He says, God, open this young man's eyes. You know, there may be a fellow believer that has somebody that he's connected to. You can't win everybody. There may be somebody that only his fellow believer can win. And they may not be, their eyes may not be open to their need. That's just an example. God opened their eyes. Oh, I could spend some couple of hours here, but I won't. Jesus set the example. But the early church continued it. I can't stress enough. The early church continued it. Colossians 1, 9 through 12. Yeah, I'm going to read it. I sure am. I'm not going to. We may be here to three, so just hang on. Colossians 1, 9 through 12 says this. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard of you, do not cease to pray for you. They kept it up. But they also asked Paul and all these other disciples, they asked, please pray for us. Reciprocate it. As these ladies are praying for this side. This side, pray for them. Everybody needs a list with the names on it, and let's pray for each other. And then we can broaden that to the folks we work with that are believers, the folks we come in contact with at the grocery store that are fellow believers. We can go all, man, listen, we, 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 need, to, we need to bomb the cable TV station and just get rid of that mess. I hadn't had it in over a year, and I missed it for a little while. I don't miss it anymore. I don't have time for that mess. And all it does is mess up your mind. I ain't preaching against cable TV. I'm telling you we need to pray. And we need to pray for each other. We've got a lot to pray for. Whew. Jesus set the example. The early church continued it. They asked for it to be reciprocated. 1 Thessalonians 5.25, Paul said, pray for us. 2 Thessalonians 3.1, Paul said, pray for us. Hebrews 13.18, Paul, again, I believe wrote Hebrews. It really doesn't matter who the writer was. Again, the writer says, pray for us. Pray for us. It's not enough just to pray when they're sick. That's good, and we ought to do it, but that's not enough. They're in the same war here in. I'm going to summarize. I know Brother Larry teaches. Every preacher I know, thank God, every Christian I know advocates praying Scripture. Let me give you a verse that you can pray. Ephesians 4.24 says this. It says, and that 
you put on the new man which was created according to God and true righteousness and holiness. If you don't know what to say for me, say, God, I pray Tyler Powell will put on the new man this morning. What that means is I get up every morning as an act of my will. I don't take up his cross. He didn't say that. What did he say? He said, take up your cross. I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and I take up my cross to do that because I'm going to tell you I'd sleep at 9 every day. The older I get, the lazier. I'm too lazy to go hunting. It's pitiful. I have to take up my cross and follow him. Then I have to take up that cross and put on the new man as an act of my will. If you don't know what else to say from me, just pray Ephesians 4.24. God, that he will put on the new man which he was created in according to God in true righteousness and holiness. I dabble with the languages. I just can't help it. I love them. True righteousness, that, that comes, it means equity of character. You pray, Tyler Powell, God, I pray that he will be equal to none other than God himself in character. Man, that's what we ought to all desire. And we ought to all desire it for one another. But you know, that's why he put that definite article in there, true righteousness and holiness. That, that, that makes it mean unconcealable piety. That's how, it, that's how it comes out in English. Think about that. Equal in character to God with unconcealable piety. Now in Choctaw County language, well, you know what that would say? Man, there's something about that old boy. He's just different. There's something about that gal. Man, I don't know what she got over in them woods at that church with them stained glass windows, but son, she got something I ain't got. There's something different. Man, let's be of the truth. That's tactic number one. Pray for believers. Back to the Old Testament, 2 Kings. We come to the second tactic, verse 18. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and he said, God, strike them with blindness. Now I want you to notice here. See, I didn't understand this a long time ago. I didn't understand this. Because with, with you know, if I knew I had the power of God to say, God, move this mountain, then he's going to move it, and I believe he can and does. He's moved mountains in my life. I'd have probably said, God, I ain't got time to fool with these homies. <laughs> Blow them away. That's not what he prayed. Look at what he did. He said, Lord, I pray. This is in Essex what he did. He said, Lord, bind the power of evil. Because he understood Elisha understood, and I'm coming more and more to understand, sir, your mother-in-law's not the enemy. She's really not. That old fat joker, the king of Assyria, sitting over there on his throne, he was the problem. Not this army. They're doing what they're told because in this day and time, you didn't get Article 15 if you didn't do right. You'd get your head chopped off. They're doing what they're told to do. They're coming against Israel because the king of Assyria has sent them there to do it. They're just doing what they're told to do. And, and Elisha, he looks at them and he says, look, they're not the problem, but God, they could create a problem, so just take care of it. Bind the power of evil. Bind this power of evil. We have got to pray. Folks, we have got to learn to bind the power of evil. 
And I'm going to tell you something. You can Josh Meyer it all you want to. You can Benny Hinn it all you want to. And all this thing and claim, but I'm going to tell you what it takes. It takes, number one, it takes asking for it. You have not because you ask not. But number two, you've got to believe it. And when you can't see it with these eyes, you still got to believe it. I'm going to tell you something. I've never told you before. There's a mini Saturday night. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a clue. But if you ever came in and come, went home and said, where's this oil coming from on my clothes? This old dumb pastor didn't have a clue what he was doing, but I spent a many a night rubbing these pews down with that olive oil bottle. And I believed that God Almighty could come up in here and he could bind the power of evil and for, the forces of darkness from this place. I believe that. I bless God I was too stupid not to believe it, even though I didn't know what I was doing. And I still don't. But I got a little bit better idea of what my motive is and what I'm going after. I'm not, because look, I beat old boys down with the gospel. I took a stick and I beat them down on the ground so hard they couldn't get up. And they hate my guts today. And I've been, two or three of them I've got to renew fellowship with and such as that. I didn't know what I was doing. And I was after I was swinging the sword at them yeah. instead of the power of evil over their life. Yeah. They are helpless. They're dead. They can't help it. So tactic number two is you've got to know how to pray against the forces of evil. He didn't pray God kill them. He knew that there was only one enemy. Look, in the last 10 years, the last 10 years, I have been done wrong. I can say that. I have been done wrong. You have too, I'm sure. I have had some people that I would have never believed would turn on me. I'm talking about turn on me, tell lies against me. And you know what? I have victory in Jesus, and I don't have a shred of bitterness and I can laugh about it. And at the same time feel sorry for them and get on my face and beg God to move on their life. Is that a boast? No. I'm telling you it comes from understanding there's only one enemy, and his name is Lucifer, Satan. The devil. He's the only enemy. We ain't going to spend no more time talking about him because he ain't worth it. But he not only prayed for the enemy to be bound, he took them to a place that he took advantage of their powerless predicament. See, when he prayed it, he knew it was a done deal. He didn't have to see them wandering around doing this. He knew it. He's prayed specifically, Lord, blind them. Done deal. That's the way you got to pray. And he took advantage of that. You know what he did? He said, I'm going to carry you where you want to go. But the Bible said he didn't carry them, he carried them to Samaria. Boy, I'm telling you, you give a redneck a little bit of seminary and a little computer program, (laughs) and he is a dangerous man. You know what the word Samaria means? You can properly and correctly, correctly spell it out in English to say a guarded place of self-observance. A guarded place of self-observance. You know what I think about? I think about this building right here. He and Essex got them to the church house. That's the application in 2014. He got them to a place where they could see where they were. A man must know where he's at before he can repent. 
He can't repent and get born again until he sees where he's at and who he is. What's wrong with our churches? It's filled up with people who've added Jesus onto their life like a new BMW. Sorry, Carol. Carol's got a BMW. I shouldn't use that. But it's like, hey, I got me a new BMW to add on to all my other trinkets. Friend, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible said, unless a man repents, he'll perish. Of repentance is just simply a change of mind. You've got to understand who you are and where you are before you can change your mind and go with God and agree with God, take sides with God against yourself. He carried them to Samaria because they were going to receive mercy in the face of certain death. That's what he desired for them. That's what we've got to desire. Man, look, I hate evil. But I spent a long time pointing at evil, pointing at evil, pointing at what's wrong, telling what's wrong with Baptists, this and that. Was it a war with Baptists? How idiotic could I have been? Baptists ain't the problem. They're not. They're boogered up as a termite and a yo-yo, but that's not, they're not the problem. The devil is the problem. And evil is the problem. God bind and blind the force of evil around this community so we can ex execute the third tactic. And that is this, verse 20 through 23. The third tactic is this. We see a prayer for unbelievers. That's what we see. Where are, you are you praying for unbelievers? Really? Praying for them? He said, Lord, open their eyes open their eyes. I am ashamed. I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm, I'm ashamed of the fact I have stood in these very woods and looked old boys in the eyes and said read them some scripture. I had a man as a member of this church that was so scared one night who we were visiting I thought he was going to pull his gun out just to get us out of there. I thought he was that scared. And I'm telling you right now I looked that old big old boy in the eye and I said son I'm going to tell you something. You don't, threat, you don't intimidate me. You may have intimidated every other preacher in Choctaw County, son, but I ain't scared of him. I ain't always been saved. I told that man that. And I said, I'm telling you right now, based on the authority of God's word, you're going to die and bust hell wide open. You know how much good it did? Zero. Zero. See, I thought that's how you fight. Well, I thought that's how you fight. I can't say much because my son's sitting here. But I'm telling you, in high school, if you just wanted to go, I'd try, you could try me. I'd go with you. How stupid to bring that mentality into spiritual things. I didn't understand how to fight. I wished I had spent half as much time as I did the first five, six, seven, eight years I was saved. I wish I had spent half as much time on my face pleading over the souls of a few men as I did badgering them. I ain't saying don't witness. You have not heard me say that. And I'm telling you, based on the authority of walking with God this past week, occasionally God opens a door of confrontation. But your heart will be so broken, they can't do nothing but sit there and melt under the power of God. And you'll be so loving, and you'll be so humble, that they'll just receive it. That's the difference in you witnessing and the witness of the Spirit. I'm telling you folks, he said, Lord, 
opened their eyes. In verse 20, we see that. So it was when they had come, they had come to Samaria, and Elisha said, open their eyes, that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw that they were inside of Samaria. They're standing there looking at the king. And they are, I'm, I'm sure, quaking in their boots. Because they realize we're standing before this king that we come to kill, and he's got the sword. But they also, they, that goes into the second thing, they realize their peril. Man, we're fixing to die. You got a king standing there saying, hey, shall I kill him? I just can see that man's demeanor. Hey, I'll take care of him. Hey, all you got to do is say the word, cousin. I'll put, the, I'll put, the, I'll, I'll nip this in the bud right now. They won't be no more coming against Israel from this crew. That had to have been his demeanor. And they had to have seen that. But they received the opposite of justice. Friend, that's what we're after. These old boys, yeah, they cheat on their wives. Yeah, they cheat on their husbands. Yeah, they do this, they do that. They drink, they, they dope, they do all these things, and they deserve hell. But you do too, and I do too. And we got the opposite of justice. We got grace and mercy and love, and we didn't deserve it. No, I mean, we just didn't deserve it. They don't deserve it. But that's what they need. And that's what Elisha was out for them to get. I could read through all this, but we've read it. He answered, you don't kill them. Give them something to eat. Feed them. Give them some water. Bless them. Give them the word. That's what they need. They need the bread of life. They need to drink from a well where they'll never thirst again. That's what they need. And finally, in verse 23, we see that it changed their lives. <laughs> then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had eaten and drank, he sent them away. And they went to their master. And the bands of Syrian raiders came no more. They didn't have to put up a fence. They didn't have to do nothing. Because their lives had been changed. I want to see my country change. We're in a battle for our country. Friend, I never thought I would see. Now, I'm a patriot. Now, I can't help it. And it bleeds into my preaching sometimes, but I am a patriot, along with being a born-again Christian. And I never dreamed I'd, never, I'd ever see a time that we're in right now as a country. I want to see this country change. But I can't do anything about Minnesota. i got to worry about Jones County. To narrow it on down, Tucker's Crossing. And then we'll go from there. I, got, I get calls all the time to go to India, to go to wherever. And I, I guess I ought to have more of a heart for that. But you know what I'd love to see? is all them beer parties that go on behind my house in that swamp. I'd love for God to give me the freedom to just walk up in the middle of that thing with my Bible one night. Maybe not even with my Bible, just walk back there and bring them a ham or something. And I ain't saying condone their sin. But just let them know I love them instead of the fact that they aggravate me to death. I'm just telling you, they do. Yeah. And I want God to change me. So I can be an instrument for them to be changed. Their lives will change. Let me tell you, we'll week through. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8 through 23. I found 
seven keys that I want to give you. If you're a note taker, I encourage you to take these down. Seven keys that'll make you a warrior prayer. They're right here in these verses. And I want you to look at them. The first key to being a warrior, prayer warrior, is number one found in verse 8. It says that Syria was making war with Israel. Friend, you have got to recognize, I have said this so many times in this message already, it's getting belabored, but I'm going to say it one more time. Do you realize that you are at war? But not with flesh and blood. The nation of Israel doesn't proclaim to be at war. And our president certainly doesn't think they're at war, but did I tell you, can I tell you that they've had over 20,000 rockets fired into their cities in the last 12 months? Friends, they're at war. They are at war. We are at war in this thing called Christianity. The second thing is this, found in verse 10. He says an interesting thing. I love the way the King James says this. He says he was watchful there toward the end of the verse. He was watchful there not just once or twice. You know what that's saying in Choctaw County, Jones County language? That's saying he was constantly in prayer. He was watching and praying constantly. You've got to be constant. Jesus said, pray without ceasing. We talk about it. It's changing my life. It really is. It's, it is transforming my life anew. And I ain't even scratched the surface. The third thing is this in verse 12. The Bible says, I know King, he thought he had a spy. And he said, but I want to know who the spy is. <laughs> he said, no, you don't have a spy. He's got Elisha. Friend, you've got to be able to hear the voice of God. You've got to be able to hear from Elisha. That equals to us in this day and age, in this walk. That means we've got to be filled with the Spirit. We have got, it is a must. I had a friend recently make a decision that was one of the worst decisions a Christian could make. And you're going to think, you're probably sitting there thinking, I'm talking about going off on some hiatus of drunkenness or something. I'm not. He didn't pray about who he had to preach his father's funeral. Now he's born again, so he's responsible. I believe that. I don't know any man's heart, but I believe this man's a Christian. And he got the wrong person. And he butchered God. He butchered God. Because everybody in that family, unfortunately, knew this man did not know God. And they had accepted that. And this preacher got up there, and I hate to even call him a preacher, but that's what his title is. He got up there, and he talked about my brother this, and my brother that, and how he's walking the streets of gold, and this and that. And everybody's sitting there like, who is he talking about? And I'm telling you, no matter how bad your grief is, and his was great, very unexpected death of his father, you still cannot afford to be not filled with the Spirit. There is never a time when you can afford to not be hearing the voice of God. You must be able to hear from Elisha. You've got to have it or you're going to blow it. Number four, I think, verse 15, 
It's a good one here. It says the servant arose early. Don't miss an opportunity because of laziness. That is so easy. That's probably the hardest thing I face is my laziness. You can look at my waist and tell how lazy I am. I like to eat, but I don't like to run. Three heart attacks, a stroke, all that mess because I'm lazy. Don't miss an opportunity because of laziness. I hope them days are over and behind me. You've got, you know, hey, if you're not a morning person, that's fine. I ain't telling you you ain't right with God if you don't get up early in the morning. Maybe you're one of those night owls, like my sister-in-law. She can work a 40-hour-a-week job and go to bed at 4 o'clock in the morning. How she does it? She's 51 years old. How does she do it? She's a night owl. That's fine. Yeah, but it is to be up at 4 o'clock in the morning watching TV. My goodness. Whew. Don't miss an opportunity because of laziness. Fifth thing is this, verse 16, we'll get going from here. Understand that you and Jesus outnumber any foe. Verse 16 is one of my favorites in all the Bible. So he answered, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I've been in a place where it was just me and Jesus. Have you? I'm talking about preaching. And everybody there was angry and mad. Excuse me. I'm telling you, they were furious. I had a man get up one time in a revival, slam the door, hollering as he went out the door. I ain't listening to this. I said, cool. Because me and Jesus outnumber you, buddy. I ain't scared. I wasn't scared before I was saved. I was too stupid to be. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I sure ain't scared to save. Because I got Almighty God on my side. We outnumbered them cats. <laughs> hey, understand. Also, that brings us to the sixth one. And also in verse 16, you can lay aside your fears. Whenever fear rises up in you, you know it's not of God. It is never of God to fear. Never. Finally, verse 17 through 20, we just talked about it. We, we spent a sermon on it. Man, know what you're doing and why you're doing it. Know how to pray. You've got to pray for believers. You've got to pray for the forces of evil to be bound. One enemy, many manifestations, but one enemy. So don't get mad and pray God will kill those so-and-so. <laughs> and then pray for unbelievers and believe. God and his binding of that power of evil around and over their lives, that God's going to save them. See, I believe in my heart, with all my heart, just a little bitty rabbit, I believe Elisha, Elisha could see those men under grace. You see that? I believe he had enough vision. I'm going to tell you something. I know men in this community that nobody believes God would ever save, but I can see them saved. You know why? Because I see me saved. I was wicked. God saved me. He can save, he can save your husband. He can save your wife. He can save your uncle. He can save your aunt. He can save anybody. But somebody must intercede. I believe that, y'all. I really do. Let's shut it down. Know what to pray for and how to pray. Combat. Close combat. It's, it's hard. It's tough. I'm telling you, it's nerve-wracking. We're going into two, we're in the middle of 40 days of preparation for a revival. 
You're going to go two weeks. And I'm telling you right now, it's heating up. It is heating up. You've got to be squared away in this area of your life. We talk about it. We read books about it. God, how much many millions of dollars have we spent on books on prayer? I got a little old 23-year-old police officer buddy of mine. His favorite say he loves God. I'm telling you, it beats all I've ever seen. How in the world he can deal with what he deals with and laugh and love God, witness to him, love on him, put his arms around him, spit on him and everything else. He'll love on him. He'll shoot him if they mess with him. <laughs> but I'm telling you right now, he says one thing all the time. He says, don't talk about it, just do it. And it blows me away every time I hear Tyler Zug say that. His name's Tyler. Tyler Zug. And every time I hear Tyler Zug, we'll be talking about something. He'll say, hey, let's don't talk about it. Let's do it. It don't matter if it's going coon hunting. It doesn't matter what it is. He'll say, let's don't talk about it. Let's do it. We're in a war. We've got to pray. We've got to know how to pray. Let's don't talk about it. Let's do it. Let's pray together. Father, I am so in love with you.